Uh, What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Small World Business Podcast. My name is Justin Colzo. I'm here with my co-host. Dan Poku. It's a small world and business connects us all. So buckle up and let's grow together. Yeah, so we're back. Took a week off last week. We're back with episode eight. We have another special guest on, a good friend of mine. Uh, Mr. Jalen Robinson. Um, for the listeners, you probably heard me mention Bubba several times throughout, you know, the recordings and the episodes. But I'm glad to say that we have the founder of Bubba on today. So we'll kind of prick his brain about Bubba, how you got started, and and whatnot. But Jalen, if you could tell, you know, our listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of get into Bubba. Well, thanks for having me, Dan. I'm really glad to be here on you guys' show. Um, my name is Jalen Robinson, like he said. Um, long story short, I have an organization called Bubba Brothers United Building Brothers Alliance. And pretty much we're all about anything and everything that involves the improving of the lives of men and boys here in Hillsborough County and surrounding areas. So anything that has to do with community development, community service, community enrichment and brotherhood, I'm all about. My background is in education and I use that a lot to kind of facilitate some of the work that we do with the boys and when it comes to programming and all that good stuff. But I'm just another brother out here trying to make it. So it's not really about me. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So how did you get started with Bubba? Where did like the idea come from to, to start Bubba? Well, um, really the idea came from I was working at a school um, as an after school program manager and I just kept on happening to be the one that administrators and teachers would reach out to to work with their boys. One particular time, um, one of the teachers asked me to come to her classroom, and she had a fourth grade classroom full of um, boys. And she was like, Mr. J. Lem, can you come talk to the boys? They won't listen to me. They won't do what I say. They won't sit down. Just come talk to them. So you know, I was like, okay, cool. I'll go get the boys because I'm used to it. So I go in there to the classroom. And when I open the door, she's like, oh, Mr. J. Lem, I'm so glad to see you. The offenders are over there. I was like, yikes. Um, so I was like, okay, y'all, let's go, boys. Let's go. Let's get out of here right now. Um, and that really like bothered me to the depths of my soul for a couple of reasons. Um, the first reason was that she was comfortable enough to call them offenders to me. Um, and I thought that was interesting because when I looked over there in the corner at the boys, they all looked like me. So I'm like, mm, okay, so this is this is the reason why they probably act the way they do in your classroom. Um, Cause you calling them and labeling them offenders. Um, but I pulled them out of the class, talked to them asked them what they wanted to do in the future, kind of just pick their brain a little bit. And while I was doing that, um, me and a coworker of mine, I kind of figured I was like, you know, I might need to do this more than just when these boys are in trouble. Maybe I should keep up with them like every week and see how they're doing and make sure they're not, you know, running the, running the teacher crazy. And then I started thinking about it some more and I was like, hmm, I bet you it's a whole bunch of other boys that are probably going through like similar situations like these. So I was so upset that I was like, I can either be mad about it or I can do something about it. And so I decided to do something about it. 
And I was like, well, I'm going to work with boys and I'm going to make sure, you know, I'm going to do what I can to make sure that not only do the people that are working with them better understand what they need, but make sure that the boys um, are just prepared for what's next and prepared for the, some of the stuff that they got to face. So that's pretty much how I got it started. I'm just frustrated with people who had their hands on our kids and didn't know what to do with them. So I was like, all right, let me do something about it. And that's how Bubba got started, really. Do you still have your hand kind of in the education scene? Or are you really just kind of working with kids on the outside now? Um, I still do some tutoring on the side and I still have my um, teaching certifications and administrative certifications. Um, I'm an educator at heart. So, you know, no matter what I do, some of it comes out in some of the stuff that even we do with the programming. But um, for my day job, I'm not currently in the school um, long term right now. What are you doing for your nine to five now, if you don't mind me asking? I work for Metropolitan Ministries, a nonprofit organization. So community development, still in the nonprofit um, world, but on a larger scale. So I cover Hillsborough County, Pinellas County, and Pasco County. And I just focus on community development and um, transforming communities. So I'm still in the same realm of what I'm doing, what I've been doing on the side with Bubba by community development and all that kind of stuff but more so focused on um, the homeless population with that job. Okay. Okay. So do you think that being in education at one point kind of helps you maintain Bubba in a sense when it comes to connecting with kids and kind of networking that, that scene? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, the skills that I learned through you know, being a teacher, just, you know, simple stuff like classroom management, um, lesson planning. Um, I was an administrator for three or four years. So um, I have experience, you know, helping teachers better work with students, period. Um, so with my bubble lens, I can, you know, add that to it, um, which just adds another layer. Um, and even when it comes to creating programs, you know, like our success workshops and all around, um, I think like an educator. So I'm thinking about data. I'm thinking about, you know, is this effective or not? I'm thinking about what are the outcomes? I'm thinking about, you know, what are these boys going to do once they get to high school and what are they going to do after high school? So um, education definitely um, guides a lot of what I do with Bubba. Um, and, you know, without that background, I think that I still would have a lot to learn and which I still do, but it, it's, it's very helpful. Even when we're, you know, having large group events, just from being able to manage 600 kids, you know, I'm like, oh, this is easy. Put that group over there, that group over there, that group over there, and then give them, you know, a puzzle and come back and check on them in 15 minutes. So uh, yeah, it definitely helps a lot. Now, are you strictly working with kids i mean like what's what's your age range are you working with people that are like in college just out of college that are struggling are you just like high school level down what's kind of your demographic that you're working with so we have a new um a new phrase that is we work with boys that are ages four to forever um because at one point in time we were doing eight to 18 um but then at one of our boys night out we turned around and there were like 20 to 25 little boys under the age of eight between the ages of four to nine. And, you know, it was too many of them to say, you know, you got to sit down or you got to just find something for yourself to do. 
we had to have something for them to do. They were there, they were a captive audience and their parents had brought them because either they had a big brother or a big cousin there or their parents just didn't know what, you know, didn't know what to do with them. So we lowered our numbers and started, you know, accepting boys ages four and up. And then recently over the last couple of years, we've seen that um, we've been getting a lot of guys ages 18 to 26 that are looking for what to do now, um, whether it's they just got out of high school, whether it's they didn't finish high school and they're still trying to figure out what to do. Um, so we've had to really um, expand our what what we do just to really make it make sense for the brothers that are coming to us. Um, my philosophy is we're, we're not going to ever turn anybody away. So if you're 55 and you come and you're like, I need something to do, I'm going to find something for you to do. So that's how we operate. Uh, I like that. How fulfilling is it for you to see, say, like a young man that came into the program at like age eight and then kind of went all the way through, you know, middle school, high school to now maybe he's in his career. Like, How fulfilling is that for you as, you know, the founder of Bubba? Um, it's, it's very fulfilling, man. Um, it kind of makes me feel a little old, um, especially because right now a lot of the boys are. You know, there are some of the boys that I, I started working with years ago are now, you know, 19, 20. So they got kids, they're working. Uh, some of them call me Pops. So they calling me, you know, hey, Pops, I just had another baby. I'm like, what? So um, it's, it's very fulfilling. Um, and, you know, I always tell people that Sometimes people think that, you know, it's about what you can do for the boys and how you can pour into the boys and blah, 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 blah. All that stuff sounds great. Um, but really, it's, it's mutual. Um, they pour into me just as much as I pour into them. You know, it, it'll be times that my, my attitude will be off or my spirit will be off. And one of the boys will be like, hey, Mr. Rock, what's going on? You straight? You ain't looking too good. Like, why are you looking like that? Somebody made you mad? Um, but those relationships and those connections that we've built over the years, um, have really been, you know, impactful for me also. So now when I see them, they come back when they graduate, you know, hit me up, follow me on Instagram and say, you know, what they're doing. One of my boys is performing with, um, you know, national recording artists. Now he's sending me his clips and stuff like that. So, um, it feels good to know that, you know, even at a young age, they understood the impact um, that the program had on them. How long have you been in, how long has Bubba been around now? I mean, you know, since like from inception to now, how long? 2014. So oh. how many years is that? About eight? Eight, eight and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, so Bubba is fully up and running non-for-profit, correct me if I'm wrong? Yes, sir. Okay, how difficult, I mean, I know, obviously Dan's talked about kind of some of the stuff that he wants to do in the not-for-profit space. How difficult was that for you to get running? I mean, did you lone wolf it? Did you have to bring a team on? Do you have a board of people around you? How have you navigated the not-for-profit space? So, um, I kind of, I don't want to, I don't know if it's the traditional route, but, you know, I really started running, you know. I saw exactly what I wanted to do. I saw what needed to be done and I just wanted to do it. So I didn't sit down and take a lot of time trying to write out a big elaborate business plan and trying to find the funders to make it happen and try to find sponsorships to be able to do it. 
I just started doing it because it needed to be done. Um, so, you know, I had to learn everything, you know, as I went, I had to learn about funding. I had to learn about marketing. I had to learn about strategizing. I had to learn everything as I went along um, because it was more important to me to meet the need than it was for me to sit and plan the need. Because while I'm sitting and planning, boy, is going to be, you know, getting kicked out of class, missing school, who knows where they would end up after that. Um, so over the years, since it's been eight years, you know, I've learned so much. Um, but when it got started, the team I started with was my cousin. I reached out to her and I said, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, she did public relations. So she was like, well, I got a really great mentor who helps me. So I'm going to hook you up with her and then we're going to make it do what it do. And that's exactly what we did. And they helped me come up with um, our first event, Crucial Conversations, that just passed not too long ago. And, you know, we've been doing that event since then. So, um, you know, those two, and they happen to be women too. And they were like, this what these what this what y'all men need to be talking about. Do y'all men talk about this? Do, do y'all do this? Do y'all say this kind of stuff? This You need to get them talking about this. Da, 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 da. Um, but you know, my mentor, Belinthia, she sat down with me and she got me thinking about, you know, other people I need to connect with other organizations that I should reach out to. She really kind of got my brain thinking about, um, what I needed to be thinking about if I wanted to go into that space, but I didn't sit down for a class. I didn't do a certificate program before I got it started. I was just like, there go the boys. Here I am. Let's go get them. Hmm. So is there anything that you would do different now if you had to like say start another nonprofit having gone through the eight years of experience with Bubba and getting started? Um, yeah, I would do a lot. I would do all of it different. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but not that I felt like I did anything wrong or that I have any regrets. I just okay. know a lot now. So now I know what to do. Um now I know what to do first. Now I know who to reach out to. Now I, I still, I still have that let's go drive, um, which kind of sometimes is my downfall because I'm like, yeah, I know we got two dollars in the bank, but it's two million boys over there that need to get to Bush Gardens. So let's just let's just walk and hold hands and get there together. <laughs> Um, so sometimes like my team now will be like, Jaylen, we got to think about it. We got to plan a little bit better. Um, but if I could go back, I just, you know, I would just apply everything that I know now. Um, but it wouldn't change. It wouldn't change, you know, how I did it or, you know, who I, who I was working with or anything like that. I just, you know, now I know all the formal stuff that I wish I knew when I started back in 2014. There are a couple of questions that I have kind of popped up in the back of my brain. I mean, the first is, have you, I mean, you're very articulate about kind of what everything you do and my brain moves at a million miles, miles an hour. So when I talk about mission, I, you know, I'd go from here to here to here. I'm bouncing like a rabbit on, you know, on, on crack. You're very thought out about, Hey, here's, here's my mission. Here's what we do and why we do it. And this is who we are. I mean, have you gone into you know, smaller speaking events, like gone into a, a high school and spoken to a football or a basketball team or gone in and, and spoken even to, you know, smaller groups of men at, at high schools or middle schools or groups like that. Is that something that you have done or would consider doing? Because I think, you know, that mission could go a long way, even just in a sports event or team. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, I've 
you know, post teaching, um, and even on the side of that, I do a lot of that going in and speaking to, you know, different guys in different settings, um, football teams, basketball teams, all that good stuff. Um, and then especially when I go speak to sports teams, I like to bring some some of the volunteers and guides with me that have played sports themselves. So we have mentors who are, you know, past football players, past basketball players. And, you know, I really believe that everybody has their lane. So, you know, I'm not a five-star football player. I'm not a, you know, an NBA basketball player. Um, but I can definitely talk to you about, you know, making decisions and, you know, planning out your life and what needs to happen next and putting all the pieces together. And then I'm going to bring my mentor out that used to play football and I'm going to let him talk to you about, you know, something that you guys might have in common. So um, I really believe that, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. And, you know, I can't reach every every guy, but that's why. Um, I rely heavily on my mentors and volunteers like Dan um, to be able to, you know, tap into places that I can't tap into to be able to connect with boys that I may not be able to connect with on my own. My other big thing, I mean, I just started my new job. I work at, you know, Fisher Investments. It's right off Dale Mabry. It is a block and a half away from the Juvie, from the Juvenile Detention Center. The new gym that I joined, I drive from work. I drive past the Juvie to go to the gym. So every single day I'm driving by and I'm, I'm just seeing a barbed wire fence in a building with like four windows. And, you know, I mean, is that, is that in the back of your mind when you're working with these kids? I mean, is it, you know, I'm trying to keep them out of areas like this, but then also do you consider go, reaching out to try and go into these places to speak to them and be like, here's what the path is after you're, you're out of here. We got to get you not back in here. Yeah, man. Um, it's not in the back of my head. I'd say it's in the front. Uh, because I also used to work in a facility like that. Um, so the, the school that I worked at before I moved to where I'm working at now was an alternative school. Um, so it was a step below what you drive past every day um, on Del Mabry. The only difference was there were no barbed wires and um, it, it, was a, it's a, it was a day program. So the kids weren't actually, you know, on lockdown or anything like that. But um, you know, just working in that system firsthand, um, you know, it's it's layered. It's so layered. Um, there's so many layers to uncover and things to pull back. Um, but that definitely is what we're thinking about when we're working with our boys. Like, you know, there are so many places for you to go that you don't need to be. Um, so I try to get them to just, you know, start thinking small, like, understanding how their small choices and decisions could lead them to, you know, bigger mistakes like that. And then the thing that's a little uh, messed up about those kind of schools that, that you're talking about is that, you know, that's the breeding ground for jail. Um, and so much so that if they feel like if they, you know, some of them feel like if they do okay in there, that they can do okay in jail. Um, so I think it's a horrible system. Um, I hate it. Uh, um, I don't like anything about it. The kids don't learn in there. The, the, they don't, you know, get help with their academics. They don't get any, you know, outside extracurricular exposure or experiential learning. There's no, it's not a real place for them to, to really succeed and grow. 
Um, it's really just a, a, a holding place to, to keep them when their schools can't keep them. So I have a whole bunch of feelings about that. Yeah, so would you say, I guess now, and it seems like from talking to you and hearing you talk now that Bubba is kind of like your purpose in life, like being of service to younger men, kind of like helping them prevent some of the mistakes you kind of made growing up? Is that what you think yeah, this is all coming together as your purpose in life? Yeah, um, definitely. And, I, and I, I'll kind of say that it, you know, it came out of nowhere. Like, you know, I didn't grow up thinking like this was going to be my future and I didn't write this like under my pillow and make a wish on it. <laughs> um, I, I really just fell into it. Um, and I really just think like most of the time I'm just thinking like if not if if we not doing it who's doing it, um and what I think what really ties me to the work is like you said you know I've made a lot of these same um, mistakes and I've been through a lot of these same situations so I have that background but I also have a ton of nephews a ton of little brothers a ton of um, little cousins. Um, a ton of uncles that, you know, helped raise me. Um, so not only have, you know, am I, do I have younger influences under me that are looking up to me, but, you know, I remember looking up to other guys for guidance and looking, you know, looking for that positive male role model. Um, so I feel like it's only right. And, um, you know, when I'm working with the boys, I just, I, I just hope that in one, two, three of them that I'm instilling the same kind of passion and the same kind of, you know, mission so that 20 years later, you know, they look back and they got a mentoring program themselves that they're running and helping out and giving back to, you know, boys that, you know, came from similar situations like them. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think I, I touched on it episode three or four to where it's like, um, me being so vested in Bubba now and in mentoring because I want to give back. I want to give to like that kid that will eventually, when they get older, want to give back to like that next kid to keep like that cycle going to where, you know, we continue to help each other out in life. So I'm definitely glad you touched on that. And I think that's what one of the most important things about mentoring is, is that you give back to what was given to you in a sense. So I'm definitely glad you touched on that. There's, I mean, there is, there's a book, and it's actually, and I think I've touched on this before. It's, he wrote a book after he gave the commencement speech from an ex-Marine named William H. McRaven. And he talks about changing 10 lives and whether that's directing someone away from a landmine in Afghanistan or being a positive male role model. His mission is to change 10 lives. And if those 10 lives go and change 10 lives, then don't quote me on the number, but it's like within three generations, you've touched like 100,000 lives. By making one small decision in one small person's life throughout your life. And so, you know, it's interesting to to hear you talk about and to to live that, you know, to be that that male role model for a lot of kids that probably don't have it. And and I mean it's something that I talk about a lot, especially with people that are in my inner circle, you know, the importance of a male role model. And I say this to everybody that I think it's it's a nationwide issue going on that the nuclear family to an extent is kind of going downhill and has led to a lot of different things. And so, 
you know, is that something that you really see that you're almost trying to become like a father figure to a lot of these kids in a sense? So I really let the, um, I let the, the boy identify what role he wants. He wants me to play. So like I said, you know, I have some boys that now they call me pops and, you know, that's because I guess that's how, you know, that's how they see me. I got some boys that call me unk. Um, so they see me like a, like a uncle. I got some of the boys that, you know, call me bruh, you know, call me big bros. So, um, I really, and that's another thing that I'm really big on all that title and all that. Oh, you got to respect me because I'm older. I don't have time for all of that. The kids don't have time for it. Nobody does. So, you know, I don't come and be like, I want to be your daddy. I want to be your uncle. I just tell them, you look, I'm here for whatever, whatever you need. What you want to talk, I'm here to talk. You want somebody to listen, I'm here to listen. You want to go to the mall, go to whatever you want to do. I'm here for you. And, you know, however we connect, they can call me whatever they want to call me. Um, because I'll know and, and they'll know the kind of relationship that we have. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'm a father figure. Sometimes I'm a big brother. Sometimes, you know, there have been other, older guys that have come out to our events that have stuck around. And, you know, to them, I'm a little brother. So, you know, it, 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 it's really kind of like a, it's a rotating kind of thing. Um, with, with what we're working with over here. Yeah. Okay. Is there any pressure with being like a role model or a mentor? Do you feel like any pressure on your end to kind of like guide these kids who are mentees in the right direction? Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, because I'm still a little rough around the edges. So um, <laughs> there definitely is, is pressure. And, you know, sometimes even as as simple as you know us being at let's say we're at bush gardens or something and then somebody knocks a knocks a big old cup of coke out my hand and onto my shirt now all the boys looking like oh mr j what you gonna do this boy just you know somebody just knocked the stuff out your hand um so there's always that pressure to kind of display for them what i want them to to do so you know the, your parents always say you know don't do as i don't do as i don't do as i do do as i say mm-hmm. um so it's always that pressure but what i've also grown to learn and i even tell my mentors this like you know a lot of people like you know i'm gonna come out there when i get myself together or i'm gonna come out there when you know i paid off all my credit or i got good credit or i don't you know whatever and you know a lot of times the boys just need somebody to be there they just need somebody to talk to they just need a presence and a body there um so i always tell guys you know don't wait till you think you're ready like the boys need you now and for myself you know sometimes they need to see that i'm a real person too like i make mistakes I don't know everything. I don't always make, you know, the best decision the first time. I don't always, you know, have it all figured out, but I know where I want to go. So especially the boys who are older, like my high school age boys, 
I really let them see a level of transparency with me so that they can know that it's okay. Like wherever you are, it's okay. But there's, there is better and, and we're going to get there together. But where you're at right now is, you know, it's not the end of the world. And it's, I find that super interesting because that's exactly how we went about the podcast. I mean, you go back and listen to episodes one and two. I mean, they are crap. <laughs> The content was good, but there were screw ups mm. in the production and we didn't edit it. But it was like that's that's how we do it. You know, that's how I go about life. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend to be someone I'm not. Mm-hmm. Right. So my question backtracks a little bit. I mean, you talked about, you know, you come to me when you're ready and I need you to you know, you're not pushing stuff on these kids. Do you think it's a mental health thing what you're doing, what you're helping these kids with? With, you know, if you need to talk, I'll talk, or if you need to listen, I'll listen. Is it is there a mental health aspect that these kids are just kind of missing out on in their everyday education or in their everyday lives that you're kind of giving them an outlet on? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you know, definitely. And, you know, we have, you know, we even bring in mental health clinicians on, you know, certain events to talk about certain topics. And we have guys and mentors who do yoga so they come out and do yoga and meditation with us and you know teach the boys about breathing and decision making and conflict resolution so mental health is definitely an aspect and a focus area that we you know know is important and like you said a lot of them aren't getting that in school a lot of them aren't even getting that at home um and a lot of them don't even know what it is so you know when we first showed some of them that you know, we were going to do some yoga. They're like, I ain't doing no yoga. No, nobody want to do that. And then they see our mentor come out and he got dreads down, down to mm. his feet. And yeah. he looked like them and he like, all right, guys, let's get on your mat. And they like, <laughs> okay, I guess I can, I guess I can do this. Um, so it's also about exposure. Um, but it definitely is even indirectly affecting their mental health because you know, we, we make them think about, you know, what they're thinking about. We make them talk about it and we get them to voice those concerns. And that right there is a mental health exercise all in itself. Hmm. So what's like the number one, not the number one issue, but one of the major issues that the mentees come to you about, whether it be like their home environment or school or girlfriends or friends, what's like that one thing that you tend to have kids come to you for for advice or just to listen? Um, so I don't know if this is something, so I don't know if this is something that they come to me with advice about, but um, I'm always having to talk to them about fighting each other. Mm. And it's always about something ridiculous. Somebody says something about somebody's friend, somebody took somebody's Nike slides, somebody lives on the wrong street. It's it's never a big issue. It's always something small, something that could have been talked about, something that could have been walked away from. Um, so I think the biggest thing that, you know, they need help with is conflict resolution. Because it don't matter if it's another boy, another girl that just dumped them or spilled her Gatorade on his shirt. And now he want to, you know, 
fight her brother. It's just always, it's always a conflict that they want to resolve the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't ever want to talk about that because they like, no, Mr. Robinson, what would you do if he slapped you? He, he slapped you, you'll slap him too. I'm like, that could be true, but, <laughs> but if I was at school, I would not slap him, okay? Um, but yeah, I would, I would say that um, conflict resolution is, is really big right now. And if you want to you wanna really talk about how that grows and escalates as they get older, you know, that turns into gang and gang violence when mm-hmm. we don't know how to resolve conflicts or have conversations without resorting to violence. So um, I say that's one of the biggest issues that we have to, we have to deal with now. Does that yeah. stem from like a, like a confidence or pride thing, you think, in your opinion, at that young age? Um, I think if it does, it's taught because they see you know, they see their big brothers, their uncles, the people in the neighborhood respond like that. So they think that's how they should respond. They don't grow up with that pride and that confidence just in them innately. They they learn that from watching people around them. Um, so it's really getting them to to control what what they what they what happens to just fall in their lap. Um, so it's like a generational issue almost. I wouldn't even say generational. Um, I'd say environmental. Yeah. yeah. I'd say environmental. Um, and even that is, you know, you could even break that down further because, you know, sometimes your, your household setting looks different than what your environment looks like. So for my situation, I grew up in the hood but my my mother and my grandmother made sure that I was doing the right thing at all times. They wouldn't let me hang out late all types of night. They wouldn't let me be out the house sneaking out the window. I wish I would. I wouldn't have no legs left. So because my 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 home unit was tight and was strong, and my mom and my grandma, you know, had a leash around my neck to make sure I didn't go the wrong way, you know, I avoided a lot of you know things that people that live next door to me didn't. So it's it's semi environmental and then it's semi household and then it's semi generational. I mean, it's a whole bunch of things you got working together, um, which is why it's so important to deal with them in a fragile way because they they got all this stuff going on. Like they got all this stuff that they fighting, and then if you're another force in there, like you're just gonna get the the fury and the wrath of them with that. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Are there any like initiatives in the school system now that you know of to kind of deal with like conflict, like resolution? Because I know like back in the day we had like mediators. So if you get into a fight, like you have to like go and sit with like whoever it was you got into a fight with and talk it out. Like why, you know, you got to spoil how you can kind of deal with that situation better. Are there any like new and like inventive, you know, initiatives now in the school system that you know of to kind of deal with that conflict? Um, so, you know, they'll say, oh, we have this program that, you know, does this, and we have this program that does that. What I'll say is that the schools that I'm at, working with the boys that I'm working at, I haven't seen anything that was effective. Um, 
in a in a lucky situation there will be administrators there that you know necessarily don't need a program but will be able to you know pull johnny and tyrone in the room like hey come on man like what y'all got going on y'all ride the bus together you grew up together what's 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 up man he took my game well give him the game back so Hopefully you have some good school staff that'll be able to do that. But as like far as an initiative or a program, there's not one. And I'm going to tell you the truth. The school system don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with them boys. They trying to, they trying to kick them out of school and send them to alternative schools so they can send them out of school next so that they can get ready for prison. If you ask me. Um, so no, I haven't seen it. Um, and if there was one, I would be interested to know who made it and what they know about the boys and the kids that they're trying to work with. Um, being an educator, I've seen a lot of things that look great on paper. Um, pretty colors, pretty notebooks, tons of awards, um, recognized by anybody who's anybody. And then you put it in front of our kids and they're going to put it in the trash because it, it doesn't, it doesn't appeal to them. It wasn't written with them in mind. It wasn't tailored for them. And then the people that are usually facilitating it aren't, can't connect with the kids either. Um, so it really isn't about the school system at this point. All we need the school, all we need the school system to do is provide organizations like myself and, Minivision and other organizations who are working with the boys provide us the funding to do it because we don't want y'all to do it. Y'all ain't y'all ain't got it. Y'all ain't got it. <laughs> and we don't want you to have it. Um, so put it back into the community with the people who know how to do it so that we can do it how it needs to be done is really how I feel about that. Do you think the the solutions to bring programs like Bubba into the school or is the solution to fund them outside of school? Because, I mean, it's it's great to obviously have the solution outside of school, but if the issues continue in school, you know, that needs to be handled at that level too, yes? Absolutely. Um, it would definitely have, it would definitely need to be a, a both and kind of situation. Um, because one thing about school is you know they're going to be there. Um, so you have a captive audience. Sometimes when you're dealing with community-based programs, you have to rely on the family having transportation or having the schedule to be able to do it. Um, so both definitely would give you the results that you need. And um, I always remind people that, you know, there are other organizations working with boys too. Like I said, Men of Vision, um, IOTA Beta, Gentleman's Quest. There are other organizations who are out there that are working with boys. Um, and it's a million boys. It's not like, 20 boys in Tampa, it's a million, literally. So if if all of us, you know, kind of wrap our arms and hands around as many as we can, then we can really start to, to make an impact. Because it's not really about, you know, Bubba, even our events, you know, our events are open to everybody. I reach out to those different mentoring organizations when we're having events like, hey, we're having boys night out tonight. Bring out your guys so, you know, y'all can come hang with us. Um, cause I'm really about brotherhood. It's not about your group, my group, his group. It's about brotherhood period. And if we're not 
if we're not stressing that and we're not, you know, building on that, then we're doing the wrong thing. How's the response from those other groups? I mean, obviously, you know, you seem very like I could give two dams about who the group is. We all have the same mission in mind, so let's work together. Yeah, Do the other founders share that feeling, or is there a little animosity on other ends from time to time? Uh, it depends on the founder. It depends on the group, uh, is what I'll say. Um, I have fortunately um, came into some guys who are all about that. They like, yeah, we coming. What what time is y'all event start? What y'all got food too? Yeah, we pulling up. Um, we even have guys, you know, who come out with their organizations and volunteer at our events. We've got guys with groups that come and one one of the mentoring organizations, they specialize in sports. So they've come out to our Boys Not Out and run, you know, sports activities at our events um, because everybody has a lane. I don't do that. Y'all do that? Come do it. Um, so, you know, you're going to get, you, We I've got a lot of guys who are like, yeah, let's do it. Let's collaborate. But you're always going to have your few who are going to want to do their own thing and you know, run stuff how they've been running it because, you know, they have their lane. You know, I always talk about people being in their lane. They have their lane, so I guess they're going to stay in their lane. Um, but I try to I try to convince them all. Like, I know y'all got tough stuff going on, but, you know, come and celebrate with us. And, you know, even if it's not on an every event basis or every program basis, um, I'll say throughout the course of the year, um, we definitely will touch or be in the same room with at least most of the, the organizations, especially at our Sons of Suit event that we do um, at the end of the year, because that's for, for boys and men, period, to come out. And we recognize other organizations. Um, we award them with awards and all that good stuff. So we do things specifically to show the other groups that, it's not about us. Like we don't care. Like we don't care. Sorry. You care. We don't care. We just want, um, at the end of the day to improve the lives of men and boys. That's, that's what we're here to do. And it doesn't look one way. It doesn't look like one event. It doesn't look like one program. It looks like a whole bunch of, um, creative ways to meet the needs of everybody that we serve. Can you dive into Suns and Suits, I think, because when I first heard about it and attended it for the first time last year, I was like, man, this is like an awesome idea to bring all these boys and men together. And you actually recognize some of the kids and some of like the men in the community for different reasons. So can you touch on that event a little bit? So Suns and Suits Community Awards, um, in short, it's just an opportunity. It's an, an award show, an opportunity for us to, you know, recognize the achievements of men and boys in the area um and are the things that we recognize them for like academics um sports community service um being involved in the arts but our award requirements are intentionally made for the boys who don't get the 5.0 GPAs or the boys who aren't used to always getting the awards. Like this ceremony is really just for boys and men who are out there just really doing what they do. Um, 
when it comes to the adults, we have, you know, the city's favorite barber, the city's favorite coach, and the city's favorite community leader. And so, you know, they rally up, get people to vote for them, you know, tell people to, you know, come out and support them because it's really just a, an opportunity for us to celebrate like men and boys, period. You know, so many times you turn on the news and you hear what men are doing wrong, what boys are doing wrong, how they getting suspended, how they getting kicked out, how they getting arrested, all this foolishness. But few times do you hear that they're getting awards or that they, they're getting recognized or that they're coming out in a suit and tie and that they're enjoying themselves and that, you know, they're having fun together. So Sons and Suits is really just an opportunity for you to see a whole bunch of brothers dressed up really nice, enjoying each other and celebrating each other. That's that's really all it is. Yeah, it's a good it's time. like a feel-good feel event. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. Your mic, Justin. I was muted. I apologize. My dog's in the room, so she's noisy. I'm just trying to... <laughs> oh. Anyways, there's something that we've touched on a handful, because I've heard it called this in a bunch of different podcasts by a bunch of different entrepreneurs. It's called the imposter syndrome. At least that's what it's referred to as. In business, it's usually where like, I've always worked a nine to five. What the hell do I know about building a business? And then when it gets really successful, you're like, I'm clueless. I'm only here because it's right, right place, right time. Not because you know what you're doing. And that's just the feeling in the back of your brain. Now, obviously, put that in the nonprofit space. You've mentioned that you know you got into the same trouble a lot of these kids are getting into when you were younger and growing up. Do you have that feeling when you're now this successful role model that has his head on straight and you're kind of like, hey, this is what I want to show you guys how to act. But then in the back of your mind, like I was doing the same crap they're doing now. Do you have that imposter syndrome of any sort? Well, you know, I really... I would say I more so use that background to kind of get them to see where I'm coming from. Um, Cause I'm like, you know, I made these like mistakes already. I'm like, you know, I know that you're 21, so you may not see it like I see it as 32. Said, but you know, I've been there, done that. So I can, you know, give you a few more suggestions on ways to, you know, make this end up a little bit differently for you. Um, and I also, I'm really, um, I do a lot of introspective kind of thinking and analyzing. So at, at no point in time do I feel like I've even arrived to, to where I am right now. So, you know, I always tell them, like, I still, I still don't got it. Like, sometimes I still got to go sit in the car and let myself cool down before I get out and respond in a way that's, you know, not going to be the best situation. So I really use, you know, all that stuff I've been through as motivation and encouragement for them to listen. Um, and I, we got to be real careful with that because sometimes what we do is, you know, we tell them what they don't understand because they young. Oh, oh y'all don't understand this because y'all never been here. Y'all don't, understand this because of this and one of the boys told me one time he was like you know because i had i brought somebody to come and speak to them and the person that i brought to speak to them had, was talking to them about being in prison for 
a certain amount of time. And so he was like, you know, you know, y'all don't really understand because y'all ain't been to prison, da, 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 da. which is true. None of those middle school boys have been to prison. That is a true statement. But what one of the boys told me later was he was like, you know, when he's when the guy said that everybody's face like just dropped and and people started to tune out. Because think about it, we don't like for people to tell us what we don't know as grown men. As grown men, we don't want nobody to sit there and be like, "You don't know about this because you ain't never driven a car." Then you're like, "Well, then I don't want to drive a car. I'm not listening to you no more." So I had to, um, I had to get real. I had to get real intentional about the kind of things we were saying to them and how we were pouring into them and making sure that we weren't pouring and punching because that's not the that's not gonna do it you can't pour and punch we gotta we gotta pour and we gotta we gotta pour and hug we gotta pour and depth so that they can first feel comfortable and then listen because if we turn them off by telling them what they don't know and what they ain't never felt before then we're gonna lose them Mm. that's a good one now is it easy for like the kids to open up to you or you find yourself having to kind of like gently you know kind of make your way in to kind of get to know them and kind of get them to open up about what they have going on or is it just natural for them to kind of open up to you um it depends on the kid you know some kids will tell you their whole life story and their mamas and not even care about <laughs> it um but then you got some that you know are a little bit more shy and that it's going to take a few times for them to get to know you to see if you really care before they tell you stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and especially when I get new boys, you know, and their mom sign them up, you know, that always puts them in an awkward position because now they're forced to. So their mom signed them up and now they got to come sit and talk with this mentor because they've been bad in school and, you know, now they got an attitude because they don't want to talk because they're in trouble. I'm looking at them like they're crazy and we just all staring at each other. Um, so I make sure that they know that I'm cool first. So, you know, I tell them straight up, like, you mad. You mad, ain't you? You mad. You mad. You don't know why you're here? No, I don't know why I'm here. You my man, you my man tell you? No. You, do you know my name? No. So... <laughs> Once, like, I, I talk to them, I tell them a little bit about myself. Um, they see that I'm not the teacher that's about to give them an F or I'm not the principal that's about to suspend them from school. They see I'm just a regular guy. Then they start to open up. Um, and, you know, once they open up, they open. They'll, they'll tell you whatever you want to know after that, after that point in time. So it uh, depends on the boy. but. Usually, once they feel comfortable, then they're yours forever. Is is there, I mean, I could be completely wrong here. Is there a piece of it that you think is like, they know that you don't have a title for them? I mean, you you mentioned earlier, you walked in that room and the teacher's like, there's the offenders. Is it, Do you think there's a piece of it that's like, they know when they come to you after you build that rapport, they're not offenders, that they're, they're becoming men under you? And I think, like, do they recognize that? Is that why they're... They're open to change. Yeah, I definitely think they recognize that. And what we don't give kids for, um, what we don't give kids credit for a lot is that before you say anything, they can feel it. Like, 
they they can feel your energy they can sense it just by how you say hello by how you walk in the room they can already they already have an idea of you know what what you're bringing to the table um so you know at our events you know i talk to them i talk to them like they're all my nephews so i'm like you know it's not it's it's a very welcoming atmosphere so they feel good about themselves you know they're not getting yelled at if they come in you know asking for extra stuff you know we're not yelling at them and saying hey put that down we like hey man what you doing come on like come on like we're we're making sure that you know they know that it's not a it's not a attacking you kind of situation here we just want you to do you know what you're supposed to do so i know for a fact they feel that when they come in come into our events because some of them our boys let outs happen the last friday of the month so some of them will like not go to school that day because they don't like it but they're going to come after school to boys night out just because they know it's a safe place a safe place where they can just hang out and be themselves so yeah um that definitely does a lot for them and encourages them to keep coming back i guess like touching on that like why is it so important to like volunteer and to kind of give back especially like with boys night out you have close to like 50 60 boys and like a limited amount of volunteers sometimes so why is it important i guess to have you know volunteers and you know giving back in your in your case dan i don't know when you've ever seen 50 boys there it's it's always at least 80. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I know as soon as I walk in, there's some kids trying to play basketball. I go one-on-one. So I just, as soon as I walk in, I'm like, zoned out. Um, it's, it's, it's really important for, you know, guys to volunteer because, um, you know, the kids don't want to just see me all the time. They get tired of me. They don't want to see just, you know, the same people each and every time. Now they want to, they do want to see the same people, but they like to see other guys engage with them. Um, they like, you know, cause the guys come out there and play basketball with them. They play football with them. They coach, they referee, they play chess with them. They do all that stuff. And the events wouldn't be events without volunteers. Yeah. I came up with the idea and I planned it and blah 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 but if there weren't volunteers there to keep that going it wouldn't be a successful a, a successful event the success of the event is having enough volunteers and guys there to make it an experience where there are positive male relationships being built um with those boys there if there's not you know guys to help guide them and be on the court with them telling them you know, don't cuss, don't push him too hard, don't take this game too serious. Like, if, if they're not guys out there doing that, then it's just going to be them playing with themselves. And they can do that at home. They can do that in the streets. Um, so what we do is we make sure that we have the guys there to be able to provide that positive reinforcement for them during our events. And it's, it's very important. 
I mean, one of one of my last questions, and Dan at, Dan ended our first guest podcast with it, and I asked Dan's cousin Gabby it. What advice would you have? I think this is twofold. So I'll start it in the first place. Is what advice would you have for someone starting a non for profit? Day one, I come up to you. Here's my non for profit idea. What's the one piece of advice that you'd give them every single time? I would tell them to figure out what you want to do and how you want to do it. Everything else can will will, will come later. You'll figure out the logistics and all that other stuff later. But the first thing you need to figure out is what you want to do and how do you want to do it. And that's I like that because that's not just non for profit. I mean that's that's mm-hmm. life, that's business, that's work. Okay. That's powerful for me, first of all. The second part of that question, you've got a boy that comes up to you, you know, he's not a member of Bubba, whatever. Hey Mr. Jalem, I I need I need something. What is one piece of advice for yeah, we'll say young high school boy about to graduate high school needs a piece of real world advice. What's what's your one go to advice for a struggling kid? If you had to pick something, um, I would t- I tell a lot of them to 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 play the game to make it work for them. Um, this is how I get a lot of them through high school because. They're like, I can't stand Miss So-and-so. She made me sick. She don't never da 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 And I'm like, do what you got to do until it works for you. Like, all you need is the degree. You just need the grade. You just need to graduate. How you feel about her is irrelevant to your life. You need to, to get that, to get to that next step. So, you know, for those boys high school and up going, you know, leaving high school, whatever it is, I would tell them, I always tell them to, to, to play the game. Like it's there, it's a game and it's either set up for you not to win or for you to win. And it's going to be some things that, you know, that's going to come your way. That's going to feel like you're not winning, but you got to keep playing the game and you got to figure out, you know, what move you making. And you got to understand that that move might put you in a position that you don't want to be in. So you got to play the game. What game are you going to play? You're going to play the game that's going to get you ended up in jail or you going to play the game that's going to get you ended up in a job that might pay you some money to keep you out of jail. So what what you want to do? Um, and then when I when I put it to them like that, you know, it gets some it gets their mind. You can see their you can see their wheels start to turn in, in their head. I'm like, "You tell me what you want to do. You want to go to jail? You want to go to if you want to go to jail, that's how you get there. You don't want to go to jail and you want to make some money." Maybe you should do this because I've heard this is, you know, this is what will happen if you do that. Um, so I really, I really just tell them to, to play the game. And that's kind of um, what we do with our success workshops. We started them. Our first series was called Hood Politics. And uh, the thinking behind that was that, you know, life is a game of politics. And when it comes to navigating through these systems that were set up not really to for for us to win, the the hood politics part of it is 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 figuring that out and then still making it work for you. So you know this system is set up against you, but you got to get through it because you unless you move into another country or unless you move into another universe. But since you're here, you got to figure out how to make this system work for you. 
you got to play the game. You got to do what you got to do until it works for you. All right. So I have two final questions. <laughs> I guess the first one would be, how do you like balance everything? Because you're a man that does, you know, you work a nine to five, you run a successful nonprofit, you tutor, you're very involved in your community. How do you balance everything that you have going on? I don't, Dan. I don't balance it at all. <laughs> it's not balanced. It's not balanced. Life is all over the place, man. So how do you make the how do you make the time for everything then? I really just I really just like I just told you what I would tell the boys. I make it do what it do. Um I'm learning now to to take some time for myself too personally. Um but you know, for the most part since Bubba has been part-time, you know, a, a part-time passion of mine for, for eight years, I've, I've kind of fell into a system where at least a couple times in a month or every other week, I know it's going to be something Bubba going on. Um, so I, I kind of like, it's, it's kind of just, it's, it's in my head, it's, it's routine. Um, and Sometimes, you know, the the need is greater than, you know, my ability or my level of, you know, you know, I'm too tired. But I know that these parents are going to be dropping their boys off at nine o'clock in the morning to do this community service cleanup. And if they don't drop them off there then the boys are going to be at the park and they're going to go with the wrong people and go to do the wrong thing and going to end up in the wrong place at the wrong time. So sometimes it's, it's not so much about balance and it's just understanding that I have something to do. Like I got, I got a call. So yeah, I'm tired. Yeah. I just had, you know, to stay up to do this report for work. But I also got to get up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning and make sure I get my boys down there to where they got to get. So haven't figured out the balance part yet, um, but kind of more so just understanding um, the importance of the work and, you know, figuring out a, a way to make sure that I, I do it all that I can and give it all I got and that I have a team um, to help me carry that. Um, so that if I am tired, you know, I know you, Ricky and Jeremy are going to be there so I can sit down and, you know, close one eye and y'all to make sure the thing is, you know, going smooth. So that's when that team comes into play. Um, because I don't have to carry it all alone. I don't got to carry it all on myself. You know, if something going on, I need to, you know, take a day off. I need Ricky to run the success workshops this weekend. And I'm going to send Ricky a text and be like, Ricky, I can't do it today. Can you handle it? He's going to be like, yeah, sure. What you want me to talk about? So um, that's when that team teamwork makes the dream work for real, for real. Mm. Yeah. And that's something we talk about a lot. And Justin's like an advocate for like building that team around you that you can, you know, rely on to where, like you said, you have to take like some time off for yourself. Then you have, you know, Ricky or Jeremy or myself or, any of the other mentors that you know you kind of lean on so having that team is essential to anything whether it be business or like a not-for-profit so I'm, gl I'm glad you touched on that 
Um, but my last question, and then we'll get into like our little roundabout question, but uh, so what do you, I guess, what do you want the legacy of Bubba to be? Like 50 years down the road, 100 years down the road, when we're no longer here and Bubba's still around, like what do you want that legacy to be? We're not going to be here in 50 years? Yeah, I was more thinking a hundred, hundred. Um, so one of our models is building better brothers. So I want that to be the legacy. Like we really built better brothers. Like you know, boys came to us one way, and they left us in another way. Um, and we we didn't get caught up on all the foo-foo stuff that didn't matter and we were really about the work of of the boys and men that's what i want our legacy to be um we really we really did we really did something and we really built better brothers if if if, if we just saying building better brothers because it sounds good then i don't want to be a part of that i want the legacy to be that we really you know built better brothers and that we had a space where all of those brothers felt comfortable, no matter what they look like, no matter where they come from, no matter what they do. It was a safe space. They felt comfortable and they were able to connect with somebody while they were there. I like that. I like that. Uh, Jalen, real quick, I just want to ask you, I mean, where, where can our listeners find you? I mean, you know, if someone wants to reach out, maybe help, whatever, I mean, do you have, you know, email, Instagram? Twitter, Facebook, whatever, where can they kind of reach out to you and get in touch with you if they want to? So they can find us on all social media platforms, Bubba underscore Tampa on Instagram, Twitter, um, Bubba of Tampa on Google, Bubba Inc. of Tampa, Google, you can find us. Um, we've been doing a, a couple of things for a couple minutes, so it's not, we're not too hard to find. And then we can be accessed through any of those platforms um, and we can share more details about any of our other programming. If anybody wants to volunteer, anybody wants to sign up one of their boys, we don't turn anybody away. We got boys, all colors of the spectrum, all socioeconomic um, levels of the spectrum. We got boys from East Tampa, West Tampa, Southeast Tampa. We got boys from everywhere. Um, it's really just about brotherhood, period. Okay. And then, as Dan alluded to earlier, we end every episode with a question from a book, 3,000 questions about me. So just take a stab. Pick a number anywhere from 1 to 3,000 for me. 1,014. <laughs> um, 1,014. Give me two seconds if I could count that high. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's actually a good one. So what question 1014, do you let other people's negativity affect you? Um, do I let other people's negativity affect me? <clears throat> so most people would say no, cause that's like the right answer, but I'm going to say yes. Um, but I'm going to say how it affects me is that it makes me want to show them that they're being negative by themselves. Like I let people 
be mad at themselves, argue with themselves, and be negative by themselves. So it's going to affect me, but it's not going to make me negative too. It's just going to make me more chipper because I'm like, what's the problem? Why are you so mad? What, what's going on? Um, so it does affect me, but it doesn't, it doesn't like disrupt my anything I've got going on. It doesn't mess up my energy. Um, usually it's just, I'm usually confused. Like what's the problem? Like what's, what's going on? Um, and I've had to, I've had to grow into that and learn into that because I, I haven't always had that. You know, you asked me that 10 years ago, it'd be a different story. Um, but today where I am today, I've learned that outside stuff can't get in because if it does then then, then you out of luck that mean you're gonna go wherever the wind blow so i try my hardest to not let other people's negativity do anything to me but make me happier i think i like how you ended that you know that you had to kind of grow into it because i think that i stand in a relatively similar spot i mean i, I played quarterback for most of my life so i couldn't let negativity impact me too much uh, but as I've kind of grown and gotten out of out of the sports realm, it's interesting to kind of see. I and I think that you're right. The answer is yes to an extent. It's a, a yes, but. And for me, it's it's yes, but. You know, it doesn't make me more upset. It just kind of detours me a little bit, or it just kind mm -hmm. of distracts me for a couple minutes. Where, I mean, exactly like you said, it doesn't make me more negative, but it does make me sit back and think like. Well, well, dang, why are they so negative? Like, is there, is there a reason that, that maybe I should be negative and I'm reevaluating my situation? And so it doesn't make me negative or put me down, but it definitely makes me like backtrack for a minute and be like, is everything good on my end? If I, if right. I dotted, my T's and crossed my, dotted my I's and crossed my T's. <laughs> so yeah. it more so sidetracks me than anything. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. For me at times, it does because the one thing I realized about myself is that I'm very empathic. So I tend to feel other people's like energy or, or, you know, emotions. So if I'm talking to someone that's very negative, it can tend to bring like my energy down. And I'm like, wait, hold up. I just came into this conversation, you know, a piper, piper. Like I was hyped, and now I'm like feeling depressed and awful. So I'm more aware of that now to where, like you said, Jalen, if I do feel that, I'm like, why are you being so negative? Like you're still alive, right? You're still breathing, right? Like you're, you're lucky to be here on this earth because you know people went to sleep you know the night before even throughout the day that didn't make it through the day so mm -hmm. i try to like when i do feel that negativity just try to take a little spin on it and try to be like hey like you should be enjoying this moment now even if you're going through a bad time like still enjoy that not to enjoy the bad time but still find like the positive out of it so i try to like make that switch when i do realize you know i'm in that situation where i might be talking to a negative person or someone expressing like negative feelings so yeah i agree with both of you guys uh, i mean Jalen. last thing here i mean is there anything else about bubba that you kind of want to throw out last second you know just any facts tidbits about your organization that you think are lastly important for the listeners to hear no just check us out follow us on social media um check out our website if you don't have any signs, tell your friend, your, the lady you just saw in the store who was yelling at her son, the lady um, who was, you know, yelling at her son at McDonald's because he wanted an extra ice cream. Tell them to send them to Bubba. We give them some extra ice cream, give them an extra Capri Sun and all that. Um, we are 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> Unlimited snacks. You just better get to them first. Um, but yeah, just check us out. Um, the more people following us, the more people will know about us and the more, you know, boys will get and the more supporters will get. That's really all I got to say. Um, teamwork makes the dream work. And I don't like to talk about myself too much. So that's really it. Hey, Jalen, appreciate it, brother. I know you had uh, had a busy week, but find the time to kind of sit down with us. So definitely appreciate you, you know, making the time to, you know, chop it up with us. So thanks a lot. Yeah, man, it's been awesome. We really appreciate it, genuinely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, guys. Take care. We'll see you all next week. And Jalen, thanks again, buddy. All right, y'all take it easy. Take care. Yeah.